This is Proxilla Radio, the UK's first dedicated progressive rock music radio network. You're listening to Tabletop Genesis, a podcast by Genesis fans for Genesis fans. Welcome to a new episode of Tabletop Genesis. This is your host, Mike Lord. This is Ellie. This is Simon. This is Stacy. And this is Tom. I guess I'm the only one who gives my last name here so that people can stalk <laughs> me online. Uh, we are here to talk about Small Creeps Day, Mike Rutherford's first solo album from 1979. I believe it was actually released in early 1980, but maybe our Wikipedian Simon can correct that if I am incorrect. Uh, no, you were spot on the money, All actually. Right. Um, yeah, this is uh, the, the little that Wikipedia has to say. We need to beef this up, people. Come exactly on. right, yes. Um, Small Creeps Day is the first studio album from English guitarist Mike Rutherford, released in February of 1980 on Charisma Records. It was recorded in 1979 during a period of inactivity from his rock band Genesis. I love the fact that it's his rock band. (laughs) Uh, During which Rutherford and Genesis keyboardist Tony Banks recorded their first solo albums at Polar Studios in Stockholm, Sweden. So they both recorded um, at the same studio at the... Well, probably more or less at the same time. I don't know. Right, maybe like one one month, the other the next month or something. Leaving messages for one another. (laughs) Uh, The title track is based upon the 1965 novel Small Creeps Day by Peter Coral Brown, adapted to have a happy ending. Now, that I actually knew because I've read Small Creeps Day, albeit a long, long time ago, and it has a much more ambiguous ending. Okay. Did you enjoy the novel? No. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, But I always think I was a little bit too young when I read it. Had you read it before Mike's album? No. No, I read it as a result... Of uh, of listening to, uh, to to Mike's album, okay. So but apparently that was his then? that was his only novel. Was it really? Yeah, that's oh, what I read. Did a little background because actually, when the description of the character and the novel, I said this sounds really interesting. It's kind of sci-fi and because yeah, uh, it's set in a sort of like an endless factory right. or something, isn't mm-hmm. it? Where like this guy goes to work every day, and he's part of like a cog and a, uh, a machine and he actually doesn't know what the end product is that they're making so one day he goes all throughout the factory and I think the novel is basically his travels throughout mm-hmm. this factory finding out and it also has to do with like life things and at the end I th- I, I actually don't know what happens at the end but at the end, he finds out that it was like really nothing there yeah I think it, at the end it's, it's a slightly nebulous ending and I, I haven't read it for oh it was what 25 years since I last read it or something and um, but I think it's more of a sort of a a nebulous ending where he more or less is a a, writes a small Trieste if you will on the the sort of the futility of 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 life as a as a as a labourer and in a larger society and we really need to look to our family for for our our meaning in life I wouldn't mind rereading it actually now I'm understanding yes exactly (laughs) was interesting that they he made a happy ending for this because the only other time a happy ending was used in Genesis was anything she does. There's, you know, that's all. <laughs> oh, 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 oh. <laughs> Zinger. 
Ellie, you just asked if if the name small creeps. Yeah, I was asking if small creeps as a word mean means any means anything. I think that was the that's his name. I mean, that was the guy's last name yeah. in the novel. Okay. Oh, small of course creep. it was something yeah. small creep. And and if I had the Wikipedia in front of me, like small creep. <laughs> <laughs> I just pictured it as again what I this is just based on me listening is that it was kind of a meek little person. Mm. Like, it wasn't that they were a creep or anything. It was just kind of a name that, to me, is very evocative of a small animal, actually. And that isn't... is something of inconsequence. As a concept, it's actually quite like um, the book Gormenghast. Not necessarily in the storyline, but the idea of this huge labyrinthine mm-hmm. building. Well, as a, as, even as a concept, it seemed to me a little bit more interesting. I would think Mike might have posed it instead of the little prince when they were looking for concepts for the lamb. Right. And it's actually kind of like a little bit more interesting concept than the rail story. <laughs> I, I mean, just I, that is kind of tough to get through because it goes off in so many tangents and directions, whereas this seemed like a, a story from start to finish. Right. And it's, it's interesting that both Mike and Tony for their solo albums, again, Mike for half of his solo album, Tony for the entire thing, decided to do a narrative of some type. And I think that they're both very loose narratives, but they wanted something to kind of hang their songwriting on. For me, I'm very excited about this episode because mm-hmm. the solo albums especially are not often discussed. Right. And I think that this is, uh, this is the kind of stuff that for me as, as a fan who wants to discuss maybe the full breadth of the creative narrative each artist is, mm-hmm. you know, each member of Genesis brings... I think this is a perfect opportunity to actually examine that. I, I agree. It was funny because actually, honestly, last night I watched the This Is Your Life, Mike Rutherford episode. <laughs> oh, okay. And even the narrator, when he was talking about what's happened in Mike's life, he said, he released a couple of solo albums. And then in 1985, he got together. So like, <laughs> they yes. skip right to the mechanics. Yeah. And so the first two solo albums are pretty much overlooked. So yeah, it is nice to kind of spend some time and focus some light on, on his first release which i think is a very strong release i think it's interesting too that mike as that person pointed out on the show kind of has two halves to his solo career and because the mike to the mechanics part of that was successful and these albums didn't kind of shoot up the charts or anything like that his first two albums it's interesting just that these albums get kind of short shrift the especially acting very strange perhaps rightfully so and mm-hmm. Small Creeps Day, at least I think, has a different quality to it. And that it's it's the first, and it's Mike's first solo statement, I think you can say. So there's also the question with this album is that there are two different running orders to this. Indeed. So we have the UK running order that starts with the Small Creeps Day suite between the Tit and the Talk and concluding with At the End of the Day, and then the second side of the album was Moonshine going through Overnight Job. The U.S. version is reversed with Moonshine starting the album and then Small Creeps Day ending it. So do we have a preference? Well, as far as I know, I I don't remember, I don't think I ever owned a copy of this album. I must have downloaded it at some point from some, some somewhere. And my version always had moonshine as a start so it kind of it's a, a what you're always familiar with right. but for me i i tried to think of it as what if we began with small creeps day and i was like well then the album ends with overnight job which isn't a great song to end the album <laughs> with moonshine is a great song to begin the album with 
plus you you get kind of like that foxtrot feel where you have all the songs on the first side and then you have the big suite on the second side so that's why you're saving dessert for last saving dessert for last (laughs) whereas if you do it the other way then you have small creeps over over with and then like the others are kind of like an addendum to the album sure I like to have dessert first. <laughs> and so I... A valid point of view. Yes. And yes. I'm sure others would share that point of view. Right. But I, I I, like it starting with the small creep suite. Okay. I think Between the Tick and the Talk is a fantastic mm. album opener. Yeah. Um, Moonshine's a great song. And, you know, I could see for the U.S., that would make sense making that the opening track because it's more has like a single kind of quality to it um and it's very upbeat it grabs you really quickly um but i think when i, I can't remember when, when well i did i remember getting this in on vinyl that's the first okay. um version of this or format mm-hmm. i had and um it was the u.s version because um, I know you can't tell by my accent, but I do live in the U.S. And um, but I just remember I love side two so much better. And I was like, if I heard that first, I'd be more apt to go into it further. But with Moonshine, I'd be like, oh, this is gonna be Mike Rutherford trying to be poppy. Oh, sure. And I know he, you know, he, that's what Phil does. Oh. <laughs> you know, um, but what I love about Mike is really concentrated i mean everything's great in this album but mm-hmm. you know m- you know if i had to stack it um start with the small creep suite okay. and i just love yeah i love the beginning of it um and the end of it i think overnight job like you said it's it's not a great album closer um but uh, it's not a great song anyway we're gonna get to that so i don't think it matters <laughs> right. but, if, but if the suite is the best part don't you want to save the best for last in this podcast <sighs> Oh, we're deciding now, like well, oh, how right. we're gonna oh, tackle yeah. it. Yeah. Oh, oh, I don't really care. It's, you know, si- <laughs> you know what? It doesn't matter because Simon's gonna edit it the way he wants oh, it anyway. Oh, so the real power. So it doesn't matter. <laughs> All I can say from my point of view is that um, I grew up with the sweet coming first. My copy has small creeps first, and I was fully intending to say, "Let's do it that way." But we were chatting just off mic before we started. Tom took me to one side, put a gentle hand upon my <laughs> knee. Uh, Thank you for just saying it was your knee. <laughs> <laughs> but I, to be honest with you, the more he talked about it, the more I liked the concept mm-hmm. of having small creeps as the second side. I'm more used to the UK version, right. but I was intrigued by it. So mm-hmm. my feeling here is I'm not wed to, to that. <laughs> you know, We can do it whatever way we like, but I... I, I'm for doing it the, the the US version. Well, I bought the album when I was living in the UK. I didn't grow up in the UK, but I was living there when I bought the album. But anyway, I, I, I prefer the UK version. I like the sweet first, and uh, I will say just that. <laughs> when we listened to it yesterday, um, we actually listened to Ellie's version of it because I have the US CD that I bought in the early 90s. That actually is on Passport Records, which I didn't even know still existed in the early 90s. Wow. But, um, and it's actually, they put effort, the, the CD itself has a design on it and everything. It's not just your standard silver CD, like the UK version is. Um, <laughs> yeah, I know, Virgin put no effort into this. But, um, and it has the lyrics and everything on the CD. So I, I was used to the US version, and when I heard there was a UK 
different running order. I I just thought that was crazy because it does. It, that was lunatic. I know. <laughs> it, it, to me, it, much like Tom said, it, it made sense that the songs were first and the sweet was last. Um, I actually think the songs are better than the sweet. Um, so I see, and I can see by Stacy's look that we will be discussing this in depth soon. Uh, disagreeing about it, exactly. So, so that was my first introduction to this album. So we're going to do the U.S. version, and if uh, you want to listen to it differently, figure out how to edit your own podcast. So, <laughs> so that with that, I think we will jump into the first track, which is Moonshine. hear the song I, I think of it as the star wars song pew 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 somebody text me right now i will do that i hope it works that's the that's my text tone awesome. now that's the Star Wars laser gun. Yeah. It, it, I'm glad they didn't overuse. I like that sound, yes. but I'm glad they didn't overuse it on this on this album as a whole. Yeah, it's that kind of cool percussion, Lindra, whatever it might have been, whatever instrument was making that noise. That it's like, oh, here's a new toy, and if you use it everywhere, mm-hmm. it wears out. But like I, everybody I, did back in exactly. this time. <laughs> but I like it on this track. I yeah. think it has a little bit of personality to yeah. it. Yeah, I mean, it was close. I think on. Overnight Job is the other song where I thought they used it on, oh, and then I listened to it. I'm like, okay, no, they. Oh, they don't. But okay. it, it sounded like it was going to start to use it. Like I think he was like had his hand pull up, pull up <laughs> poised on the button. He's like, oh, I want to play with it again. <laughs> but uh, I I think well, at least as U.S. 
listeners went. I thought this was a good beginning. It had like kind of an ominous doom, like kind of yeah. this ominous beginning. And uh, it's a good album opener, right, Tom? It's a great ob- album opener. <laughs> I, 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 Stacy, I agree with Stacy. I also do think like between the tick and the talk is also yes. a good album opener. But as far as first and second sides, right. Moonshine starts off pretty well and it kind of gets you into like the feel of what Mike's going for for this mm-hmm. album. And then you would have a side two with the suite, but but Moonshine I think is a good opener. Yeah, I agree. I, I've I always liked this song. I think I think it may go on a little bit too long. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'd noticed that. That's something which I think this album does suffer from. Yes. yes. Yeah, especially the ballads. We'll get to that. It's like, <laughs> oh. Yes. There's a, there's a, I mean, I suppose it's like anything else. Your first go round the block, you're going to learn an awful lot about right. songwriting, and I think even. Uh, Mike himself said, and I'm looking at the Wikipedia right. page here, where he said, oh, there was a whole load of stuff which I that was taken care of by the other members of the band. <laughs> Somebody just texted you again? That was yes. Mike Rutherford. <laughs> oh, Mike Rutherford. <laughs> he wanted, awesome. yeah. Yes. But it is a, it is a skill. A right. Brevity is a skill. Yeah, Learning sure. how to to actually arrange a song, get in, mm-hmm. say what you need to say, as, and get out at the other end without overstaying your welcome. That's a skill like anything else. Yeah, for six and a half minutes, it's yeah. It, it could have probably been shortened a little bit. The end kind of reminds me a little of the end of Down and Out, where they mm. and it almost seems a little bit tacked on the end, even though I really love it because yeah. it seems like. You have this funky kind of beat all throughout, and then you have this majestic organ crescendo at the end, yeah. which does end very well, but it, it seems a tiny bit out of place. Like, oh, i got to find a way to end this first song. Oh, I know, I'll throw in a big organ crescendo. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, and and it's... I'm going to say something very general about the album right now, but this is a very keyboard-heavy album for a guitarist's album. Yes. Uh, and it's Aunt Phillips, his old buddy from school and trespass time playing keyboards who he was getting more into keyboards at the time also so i think it was interesting having aunt phillips there as an influence but not a guitar influence in some ways Mm -hmm. there are moments on the album you know that it harks back to that but this is not one of those tracks i know obviously phil and tony they'll start putting down their musical ideas probably on a piano or a keyboard Mm -hmm. Does Mike play keyboards, or like how would he put the, down his ideas? I think he generally with the guitar, although I think he probably can play a keyboard, piano. But I think that it, he's everything. All the interviews I've seen him where he talks about what he's written, he's always there with the guitar playing the bit from you know "Follow You, Follow Me" or "I Can't Dance" or those type of things. So I don't know. That'd be a good question to ask him what his writing routine is. Check. <laughs> so, I I think this is a great track. Um, I love the bass line yeah. of this. It's like really grooves. It's one um, of the pl- few places on the album where you can hear the <laughs> bass. Yes, exactly. Um, that was something I, th- I uh, thought of too. Um, it has a fucking catchy chorus. Like that stays in your head all day. <laughs> but the lyrics scare me a little bit, okay? Like there's burning blood and moonshine brain. And it's kind of a dark, like I, I was looking through the lyrics. I was like, this yeah. is really scary. Mike can be darker than you think <laughs> yeah. that he... And he's got this pew pew, yeah, happy time, like, Ooh. thing going on top of it. So it's kind of, uh, yeah, it's an interesting song. Very interesting. <laughs> the other thing, we were talking a little bit about uh, about this um, a couple of podcasts ago, which is listening to these solo albums as a fan is very much like 
having a Rosetta Stone. Mm-hmm. Um, I think Tom made mention right, of this right. a little while back, and uh, you can hear what each member of the band brought to the table right. by investigating the solo albums. I mean, mm-hmm. one of the things that that hit me specifically about this album is um, this album came out in very very quick succession with A Curious Feeling right. and Duke. Exactly. They came out very close to one another. They're all produced by David Henschel. Right. They all have this wide epic sound mm-hmm. to it. But the thing that really hit home to me about this album is just how many lyrics there are. Yes. It's an incredibly wordy album. And and this song, I think, is a, a very good example of that. There's a huge amount of... Um, I can't remember who the, uh, the, the actual... Let me just have a quick look at who the singer is. I think it's... Uh, Noel McCalla. I think the I think the lead singer is called Noel McCalla. <laughs> um, and you know, I I sometimes think of him sort of sitting in some kind of ho- hotel room with this this basically this this novel mm-hmm. rendered uh, as as an album, going, oh, I've got to learn all this, I've got to sing all right. this. You know, it's an incredibly wordy album. Well, maybe that answers my question because I was going to ask you: Was Noel McCalla known in the UK as like like where or is, was this his? Was he, in? he was in Manfred Mann's yes. band for, for for quite a while. Um, I think he was a what else? I think I think he was in a band called Morrissey Mullen, who I think I don't know if they're big in the jazz world and outside of the UK, but that's that's how I knew him. Um, and uh, yeah, he's got a great voice. I wish that it was recorded better on this album. Right. There is so uh, much that we yes. could wish for in yes, this world. Exactly. I think that Ellie commented yeah. on this yesterday when we were listening to this. Yeah, I was saying that I'm not sure about the vocals of this of this album. All the rest is great, the, you know, the um, the instrumental part, but the, the vocals for some reason in, I think in one or two other songs I I like his vocals, but in general but it's something personal. I mean, he has a great yeah, voice. Course, yeah. That's a true. Right. <laughs> well, he can certainly sing. Oh, well, sure. Of course, yeah. he right. Sure, yeah. I think my issue with his lyric, with his singing, and with the way it was recorded on this album was that I, I actually found it difficult to understand what he was singing. Like I can hear the melody in there, but the words themselves kind of, kind of just got caught in the wash. I hear what Stacy's saying about the lyrics, but in some ways, I kind of miss a lot of that because it does just get yeah. In the wash of the music. Right. I never there. noticed it until I actually read them. Right. You know, and I was like, what is, is it? Is it just out of interest? Is it an accent thing or is it a delivery? No, I think thing? I think it's more maybe delivery and production. Production mm-hmm. for me. Yeah. Absolutely. And I think that if, like I said before, that this is an album that I think is kind of screaming for a remix, because I think the remix of A Curious Feeling did wonders for that album. Not that it was horrible before, but I think much like Small Creeps Day, it just needs kind of a coat of paint removed from it. And I think a remix would do wonders for that. So if you're listening, Mike, please license this to somebody who will remix it for you. So. <laughs> but this song is great. I like this song. Well, we will move on now to Time and Time Again.
Rutherford. What a sap. <laughs> he is the sap of this band, I'm realizing, from this album. <laughs> a good sap, though. Oh, it's a good sap. sap. He's very romantic. So. Um, but yeah, I skipped this one. <laughs> Just because it's too romantic it's for too, you? It's a little too saccharine. It is a little too long. It's, it's the least favorite of mine on the album. Yeah, really? mine too. I like it, and I like the vocals, believe it or not. Oh, very, yeah, very. It's got that kind of little bit many-too-many many guitar sound. Ah, the end. I wrote that down. <laughs> oh, my God. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. We're like, we're like, we're like, we should have a podcast together. I was just so excited. <laughs> and uh, I, I could definitely, I love the piano, like kind of just like playing behind, you know, like streaming behind the singer. Yeah. And... Uh, it, this was the single, right? Was there a single yes, from this? It was, song? Yeah. Okay, mm-hmm. I mean, I can see that it's kind of short, it's under five minutes, and it's kind of got that romantic feeling. But yeah, it, it seems like a continuation of something from And Then There Were Three. And mm-hmm. but it's, it's, I never s- skip it. Not that I play this album a ton, but uh, I, I like hearing it. Like, like Ellie said, it's it's, it's nice, it's, mm-hmm. it's got that good feeling towards it, it's <laughs> got, got that ending to it. About it, so I thought the ending yeah. was a bit spooky too. And there's there's a bit at the end that I think as Simon said, you know, there's a there's some glimmers of Ant and Mike, kind of the sound of some early stuff in this album. There's a bit at the end of this that I'm like, it sounds like White Mountain to me, mm. like just yeah. the way that the guitar, the way everything is interplaying, it just kind of jumped out at me, and I was like, oh wow. And as Tom said correctly, <laughs> the guitar solo sounds like many too many. This album as a whole even more so than a curious feeling is transition from and then there were three to duke because mike is a better guitar player than he was on and then there were three more comfortable guitar player so he's more comfortable with the leads and it's it just screams transition to me in that respect yeah to me this album the whole album sounds like Wind and Wuthering meets Duke, but it's wild (laughs) (laughs) i i just find this track a little bit anodyne i just it's a it's a little bit too generic, and funny enough, that actually leads me on to something I was going to ask you, which was, for some reason, I, I was over the last few podcasts, I, we've been centering a little bit on that mid-period Genesis hmm. uh, time, mm-hmm. and obviously, someone at the record company was absolutely and utterly hot for their downbeat ballads. <laughs> yes. Because it seemed to be all of the singles were all of these slow yeah. ballads. They what was the track from Duke that they wanted as Alone the, Tonight. Alone Tonight, yeah. you know, so it just goes to show that they, they felt that the way forward for, for Genesis and their albums were were the power ballads. And in the late seventies, you know, on certain AM and probably again I was five to eight at the time, you know, so I can't talk from real memory of this, but you hear other songs from that time period, that late 70s, BG-ish, less disco-y BG-ish kind of idea of, oh, this will be the romantic stuff that'll get, get the bums in the seats. And Mike could write that type of material and write other types of material too, the real heavy man of our times type of things. And other material like that but this was I like the chorus of this I think it's it's actually something that I sticks in my head after the after I hear the album and I liked the song in general it's not my favorite Mike Rutherford song but it's it's a solid song I think and with that (laughs) we'll move on to Romani (laughs) 
it was funny when we were talking about this song and and what was coming up next that Mike kind of had to look at his notes to see what was coming up next and I have on my sheet Romani I can, I can never remember what the song is, but when I hear it, I'm like, oh, yeah, that's the song. And next time I listen to the album, I'm like, okay, I'm, I'm going to know what the song is coming up. And I'm like, I have no clue what Romani is. <laughs> it's that song which I just cannot, like the others, Time and Time Again, Overnight Job, Working in Line, Cats and Rats, Moonshine, everything. I could probably hum a little bit. Romani is like a mystery. It never, it doesn't stick to me at all. Right. I, and then I, I, I listen to it, I'm like, oh yeah, that's it. But that happens every single time. Right. The, it's See, like a Groundhog Day of my album. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's funny you say that, because what I wrote down in my notes about this track was that I feel like it's three different songs in one. Yes. Yes. Yeah. And I think maybe that's why it's not sticking, because right. it doesn't have that consistency or that single thread or concept that mm-hmm. runs through all the other material, you know, in all the other songs on the album. The, he is all over the place with this. Yeah. I mean, it's got a great groove to it, yep. which I love. It's, but, the, it's um, the other one where you can hear the bass on the song. Exactly. Which, you know, I did, I did um, put nice beat. You can dance to it. Yes, <laughs> which is which is always a plus in my book. Yeah. Um, but this is this is to me one of the most prog songs on the album, okay. just because it is. It, it just shifts oh. all over. Like, no way. No way. Did you put that too? Simon put the same thing. Aww. <laughs> <laughs> Well, we're on agreement. We're done. Yeah. <laughs> well, I said I actually thought this song sounded like it could be part of the Small Creeps Day Suite. Yeah, like it kind oh, of. Yeah, yeah. I thought it kind of fit musically in with that. Right. Maybe not as close lyrically, but I don't think it mentions. Ro- I think Tom, what you were saying about it doesn't jump out at you. I don't think the lyrics mention Romani at right. all yeah. in the lyrics. So. It's one of those titles that doesn't necessarily connect to the music or the lyrics at all. Um, it almost has a title that you would expect an instrumental track to have. Yeah. I mean, I'm not a smart person, so is this a real word? <laughs> I always thought it was meant to be a name of somebody. I was wondering if there was a Roman connection. Well, the song's kind of about a journey or going somewhere, I think. Yeah. So maybe it's like a, 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 a foreign word for... Yeah. Well, some of our smart listeners, please let us know what this word means. <laughs> but I, I do note that, like, once I start listening to it, I'll, I remember what it sounds like, and I remember that it has a great instrumental ending coming up with a good guitar riff. Yeah. yeah. And I like the Ain't That Peculiar line in there. I think it's... Yeah. Like, it, it's... it's Some of the lyrics of this really do stand out to me, so I think this mm-hmm. is a good track. It, I I really like the way it starts. I love the way that you've got that sort of like slow keyboard intro with the arpeggio that sort of welds yeah, up yeah. out of the swirl of chords. Yes, I said that too, Simon. <laughs> I won't talk, but I said that too. We are nailing it today. We are we are, we are dominating this podcast. We are simpatico. <laughs> I think to, the end of this is very, and then there were three, like the little Nemo yeah. type of mm-hmm. thing that jumped out at me that way. So Romani is uh, it has to do with the gypsies. Oh. Um the Romani people. Oh, no, oh Romani oh it's supposed to be a, oh, yeah. Uh, so I, I it's funny because in this album I didn't pay attention to the lyrics, so I have no clue what it would <laughs> say, but anyway. Maybe it's about that, who knows? I don't know why. I'll take it. I would be someone who roamed the world and when and when yeah, the time was ready and so was I. Yeah, Get out here onto the streets. Yeah, it should be It's about gypsies. <laughs> All right. Yes. Problem solved. There you go. Thanks, Ellie. Yeah, there you go. We can check that off the list. Thank you, yeah. smart person. Glad <laughs> you're smart, here. We have a smart person amongst the, amongst the group. So Then let us move forward into Every Road. How, how can 
what I would consider a guitar song on this album you know again for a guitarist I was I've been surprised that there hasn't been as heavy guitar or even guitar on this album as much you know it really was the keys kind of putting forward the the melody the intro to Romani as we were just talking about and I thought it kind of was inside and outish in the chorus parts yeah I can hear that um, and I I think it's a really pretty song uh I actually thought... I wrote that down, too. Oh! <laughs> I wrote the song. Fantastic. <laughs> and I actually thought this could have been an album ender. You know, I thought it would have been a way to kind of conclude the album, whether, you know, whether it's at the end of side one or side two. So. It's funny you should mention that, because you said it reminded you of Inside and Out. Yeah. Uh, and I, it, for me, it reminded me, especially the strummy bits, mm-hmm. reminded me of Ripples. Oh, sure. Um, and I... The thing that really got me about this song is when I was listening to it, um, I could just imagine, and of course this is wild supposition here, but <laughs> Mike and Ann facing one another with two 12 strings mm-hmm. uh, doing this. And, you know, the, the, the one thing that, that really hit home to me about this album uh, the second time around is I kind of fully realised exactly how much of a reunion this was for, uh, for Mike and Ant. Not as in sort of like welcome back old chum I mean they've been mates for years right. but it was just an opportunity to work together right. and you know they, that puts a smile on my exactly, face exactly yeah right? and they had done you know Geese and the Ghost together in the, in 75 post you know post Lamb tour and everything but this was really the first time since then you know three four years onwards that they really sat and recorded together so I think it just showed throughout the 70s that they had an ongoing relationship mm-hmm. with each other so it's really good. For me, this was a better choice, should have been the single, than Time mm. and Time Again. I mean, this has just that chorus, which mm-hmm. you can sing along to. It sticks in your head. And if there was any complaint about some of the songs being a little bit too long, this one, I think, goes by too quickly. Like, it, it, it kind of has got that strumming that your own special way has for me a little bit. And whereas that song, we, I think, all agree, goes on too long. <laughs> yes. This song could have been developed a little bit better and... and I think the only reason why I didn't pick it as my favorite was because I didn't like some of the transitions between it. Like, they could have made it more concise, but maybe stretched it out and did the chorus maybe one more time. But it's got such a good feeling to it, and the ending kind of coda part to it mm-hmm. is is great. So I, I think this could have been the single. This is far. where I will just dis- I will agree with you on everything except about that they should repeat any of it because I think that this is this is 
great the way it is. And if it got any longer, it might get into that your own special way territory where it's going, mm-hmm. oh, I've heard this part before. I don't need to hear it again. Like, I've, I hear everything enough in this song. And if I want to hear it again, I'll just hit replay. <laughs> so, um, but no, I but I get what you're saying that it could be developed. But I would, if it were going to be developed, I'd want it to be developed in a totally different direction. And I don't think it needs that. So, well, I think I was just not making it that much longer, but shortening up some of that middle transition right. between the first chorus, where it just gets very kind of slow and almost like a middle your own special way kind of feel. Like they could have milked it for a little bit for one more time one more time. we're not we're, talking snowbound we, we will be recording our tabletop genesis covers album soon <laughs> where we will rearrange all the genesis and solo tracks as, as yes. to as to how we nice. think they should be <laughs> well as you know i i wrote down pretty song <laughs> so so and i i also um you know i remember when i was re-listening to this album this past week I was, I think at the time I might have been doing something else. I think I was like in the kitchen or something. And for a moment when um, Every Road was on, mm-hmm. I thought I accidentally put on an Aunt Phillips album. Oh, yeah, sure. I can <laughs> so, hear that. Yeah. yeah, I was like, oh, wow, you can really, you know, hear mm-hmm. Aunt's uh, influence. Mm-hmm. I don't know if he had any writing credit to this. I don't think he did. Yeah, yeah. But I just, you know, it kind of reminds you how well Mike and Aunt work together. Yeah. And sometimes, you know, maybe you can't tell the difference between the two because they mm-hmm. had such a strong working relationship. And, yeah. you know, it was... This is a song that exemplifies, you know, that very well to me, right. very much to me. And I don't, I don't know if Mike and the Mechanics is set list for their tours or concerts that well. Like, mm-hmm. I don't know if he, he does he ever revisit stuff from his first two solo no. albums um, at all. On the very first Mike and the Mechanics tour, he played at least one song from Acting Very Strange with I think Paul Young singing it, um, one of the rockers off that album. But th- nothing from this album has ever been played live. Because this, because this is a great sing-along s- song for yeah. the audit for the crowd, and it I could mean, be very mechanicsy. Yeah, yeah it could totally be. Too. I just, you know, maybe he doesn't look on his first two albums with as much, you know, admiration as we might. But I think, I think if he took a look back at some of this, he would think he would think this is a good song to play live. I'll bring this one back. Sure. So, Mike, if you're listening, please. <laughs> Just <listen>. do it. <laughs> this actually brings me to a conversation which, um, uh, although we did touch upon it at the start, I mm-hmm. think this is a, a good song to, to use as an example of that, which is we are probably some of the very first people to be talking about this <laughs> music since 1980, I, sure. I thought. And, and one of the things that one of the things that's really hitting home for me about this is that... Um, it brings a huge smile to my face to be able to actually do that, to talk about yeah. these songs. Yeah, I think that these songs deserve a life. And I think that there are people out there who love these albums and who might listen to a podcast like this and say, oh, people are actually talking about this. I nobody, I may talk about Genesis with some people, but you know, how many people do sit around and talk about Mike or Tony's first solo album? Right, and I and there probably are a lot of Genesis fans that don't even know that this album exists or right. may not have given it a shot. Um, and I to them I say if you like anything Genesis did between 1975 and 1980, yeah. 1980, yeah. <laughs> you would probably really get into Small Creeps Day, yeah. and you should check it out. I think there would be at least something for somebody yeah. yes. on this, you know. 
It gets better with each listen for me, to be honest, yeah. Excellent. So we will move on to Overnight Job. So when they were recording the song, David Henschel came out of the recording booth and he said, you know what, guys, great job, but I'd really want more cowbell. <laughs> no! Oh! oh, my God. We just saw an exposure of Simon's notes that says... Yeah. More cowbell. Oh, my God, you guys are so cute. <laughs> this podcast is brought to you by Psychic Connections. Yes. <laughs> What I like about you, Tom, is that you come prepared with little comedy nuggets <laughs> to the podcast. Yeah, show the, comedy nuggets. Uh, <laughs> of these little scenarios that are like, oh, let's let's prepare this. This is another track that I thought could have been part of the Small Creeps Day Suite. Hmm. That kind of had that musical feel to it. I think the verses are cool. I like the guitar hook mm-hmm. that's in there that's kind of yeah. played throughout the song. Overnight job at mimicking the the lyrics and that lovely intro that that guitar yeah. uh, sort of like chord sequence that right. he does on the intro to it is really good very dookie yes yeah, not dookie but we'll get to the album cover later oh, okay. <laughs> no but i think when as as you said like it kind of felt like this is part of this sweet because overnight job this yeah. is a guy in a factory he's working like it could fit yeah. lyrically almost as well mm-hmm. as musically into the suite yeah. and if it's the last song on side one it's actually kind of almost a prelude to small creeps day oh, oh. or, or. <laughs> it, it is a nice bookend there you go know, that it works both ways there yeah i always thought that these tracks almost felt like 
precursors to Mike and the Mechanics. They're all okay. very. I can hear mm-hmm. Paul Carrack yeah. singing these songs. Mm-hmm. I can I can hear yeah. that, and this one especially just mm-hmm. makes I really reminds me of the Mike and the Mechanics stuff yeah. that was going to come along. Yeah, it's it's too bad that some of these weren't reintroduced, you know, for that first tour or even later on. So, I mean, or if, you know, at least in the U.S., you know, if in the U.K. and Europe, too, if Mike played some of these songs now, I think the fan base that goes to see him, at least some of them would recognize this music. So and if they don't, they think it's a new song. So, (laughs) you know, there's no harm and no foul in that. It's kind of like what Steve Hackett had said is when a song isn't played live it kind of doesn't get that life and that momentum that the songs that they did choose to perform got and i think that's Mm -hmm. unfortunately what happened with this it didn't have a chance to be played live whereas songs like this every road could be songs that were done again by mechanics and brought out in a live setting and and really being been given the life that they deserved and they just didn't get that it's interesting that we're talking more about the mechanics and less about genesis for these tracks that is an interesting point, yeah. yeah. Like, I, but I think what we're talking about here is that the, with the Small Creep Suite, as we're mm-hmm. about to, to head off into, that definitely is much more in Genesis territory. Right. Yeah, I can just echo what everybody else has said, particularly the more cowbell, although I didn't write that down like you two did. Um, but I like how Genesis covered this back in 1983 uh, three with Just a Job to Do. Ah, okay. So, yes, because I heard that, I heard Genesis, or the Mama album, okay. first before I heard this sure, album. Sure. And I remember when I first heard small this album and Overnight Job, mm-hmm. I was like, this is just like Just a Job to Do. And okay. I still kind of hear that to this day. I, I don't know if that. you guys yeah. have picked up on that as well. But this is the only track on Small Creeps Day that reminds me of a Genesis song. Okay. That's interesting. I and but that wouldn't have been the song that I would have picked to kind of match it up with, but that's interesting. Okay. So alright. So with that, we'll now move on to the Small Creeps Day Suite. It's so very dark in here. There's water on the wall I can see no light And what's that sound? That droning far above the smoke The Stranger Things theme tune. Mm-hmm. I was going to say that. I have a window here. <laughs> yeah. Someone should do a mashup of that. Oh my god! Oh my god! You guys. <laughs> I, I wrote that it reminded me of Pink Floyd's uh, Pigs. Three different ones. Really? Opening beginning. a bit like Floyd's Pigs. No. Oh. Did you actually write it? Yes, he yes, did. I did. And we can put it here too. You if you can too read my handwriting. Are so adorable. I know. <laughs> We're simpatico, as we said. Yes. So, um, 
I thought that it was it was I I liked this suite in general, and you know, this to me it's such a bridge as I said before between and then there were three and Duke, it, and this to me sounds so much like that. Um, I think that there's some cool backing vocals that you can barely hear in the second half of this that are kind of doing tick-tock, tick-tock. And I just noticed it this time listening to it. I hadn't heard it before. Another case for a new mix of this yeah, album. Exactly. So, um, and I think the vocals actually sound good on this track compared to their kind of mush that it is kind of elsewhere. It's a very haunting uh, track and it is something which I think Rutherford does very well it is something for some reason I don't know why it is but whenever I hear Rutherford do these quiet tracks and there are a lot of joining pieces during this suite yeah. which have got a lot of I don't know what you got a lot of atmosphere yeah, to them yeah. very keyboardish again less guitar more keyboard well yeah that, that's a surprise being a guitarist but this, this particular song reminds me of Mike Oldfield feel of yeah I can you know, see that yeah and yeah, this suit is. I like this suit. Is mm-hmm. the whole piece, pieces. Yeah, it's. Um, I find the between the tick and the talk probably the best match of lyrics and music on the entire album. They just, yeah. it just goes together beautifully. Um, and in terms of the entire suite, I think it really works. I think it's the just the right amount of music and right amount of words. Um, maybe a little too many words if you had to, mm-hmm. you know, kind of go through it, but. I don't see this concept or story. I know you were talking earlier about maybe instead of a lamb. I, if they weren't going to do a double album, right, this right. could work. But yeah. I, I feel like this is this. I, I've never read the book, but to me, this this uh, concept is no more than a short story. Mm-hmm. Sure. <laughs> and uh, you know, I think Mike really captured it very well here in this album. It really sets the mood for mm-hmm. for the second side or first side of the album as. Like kind of here's what you're gonna get. Uh, it does have that very 80s kind of, even though it was late 70s, early 80s, that kind of keyboardy sound synthesizer. Mm-hmm. That, as I said, uh, obviously the people who created Stranger Things and did that mm-hmm. music were paying homage to that old kind of early <laughs> 80s kind of synth music. Exactly. So yeah, it, it 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 maybe sounds a little dated because of that, but I I, th- I think it's a great beginning to this medley. Right, and dated isn't always bad. Right, you know, it's just that it ties it to a time, mm-hmm. and it it evokes that spirit. I I think again, it's interesting that you know this is a, a story, a theme of some type. There's, you know, the theme of the story on a curious feeling. There's the Dute Suite that was you know proposed to be a kind of story theme on Dute. Um, so they were very into stories at this time. And they liked their narratives, yes. or at least their longer yeah. form narratives. Yes, and, and Phil's theme was sadness. Well, they had. <laughs> well, that's the thing. Their songs were getting shorter, yeah. so I think instead of they could tell a pretty in-depth narrative in one track that was fifteen minutes long, yeah. but they were trying to get away from that and writing more shorter songs. So. To, to still tell their narrative, they had to do it over a couple of songs. Right, to kind of spread it out. Exactly, instead of just doing one long song. So, you know, that's uh, that seems like a natural progression until yeah. you get to something like the Al Mabacab, and then it just was, well, we're doing all short songs Yeah, now. doing what they want. So, <laughs> yeah, I, I enjoy this, and I think it was a great intro to to the suite. Mm-hmm. Right. Well, in the UK version, this is the intro of the album. Right. And it's, it's funny yes. to compare with, with the US version with Moonshine. It's, 
a completely different feel, right? Right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so there must be a reason. <laughs> yes. mm-hmm. It does. Um, if you put this as the opening track on the album, it gives the album a completely different spin. To me, it made the the album when we listened to it this way yesterday with with Small Creeps Day Sweet first. It made it feel like the songs were an afterthought. Like, this kind of felt complete. And then it was mm-hmm. like, oh, yeah, there's more. So that's nice. It's the encore of the album in that way. So Perhaps they thought UK audiences were a little bit more sophisticated. Very possible. But the US audiences need some of the dance to right away. Exactly. So that's where they switched yeah, it up. That's, what, yeah, that's, that's the my theory. Yep. yep. All right. Cool. The next track is Working in Line. Between the Tick and the Talk, um, where I said the the lyrics and the music match perfectly, this song is no match really? to okay. me. This is the happiest song about despair ever. <laughs> <laughs> really, but with that being said, um, this is an incredible track. Yes. Um, this is fantastic. It's one of my favorites on the entire album. Yes. I think it's it's the it's the cinema show instrumental with vocals. Yeah, because okay. you know, yeah. it just has that guitar rhythm riff going through it, and the vocal line is great, and I think it it really marries everything really well together on this track. I'm I'm astonished exactly how well executed this song is, and of course, this is um, uh, a great song that features uh, the drummer who plays throughout the entire album, yes. which is An- uh, Anthony Phillips. <laughs> <laughs> Simon, uh, Simon Phillips, yes. and uh, as a, a result, drummer, yeah. yeah, I mean, basically, I mean, he came up through the sort of the, the jazz rock yeah. uh, community, and the very first album I actually ever heard him play on was a Jeff Beck album called There and Back, okay. which is sort of jazz rock, and he had um, around about that time a very much of a Billy Cobham kind of vibe mm-hmm. about him. But this is a, I, mean, I think this just goes to show. Simon Phillips's star was rising at this point yeah. in the uh, in the music community, and he was one of those guys who, at the time, had had this facility to just about play any style of music. Yeah. He went um, on to play with Pete Townsend throughout the eighties. Mike Oldfield. Mike Oldfield. Toto. Yeah, he was all over the place, so. and uh, he just absolutely 
drives this along. I yeah. think it's it's really good. And to be honest with you, when you when you've had Phil Collins in your band for many mm-hmm. many years, the bar's set very high yes. about the kind of musicians you want to be on your solo right. album. And I think he chose incredibly well in Simon Phillips. I agree. One of my favorite parts of the song is the guitar lead solo that mm-hmm. goes half. It's I think it's about halfway through the track. And I wish he did more solos like this. Yeah. Like, I hear this and I'm like, why wasn't this in Genesis? I mean, <laughs> Tony, like, let, let Mike have a solo, <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Um, and, you know, that, it just, I wish we could have heard more of this yeah. on Genesis albums. Um, really letting him take off uh, yeah. and, and play a little bit more lead. I don't know if that's just the way they were writing together yeah. as a three-piece um, or it was Mike's choice. I don't know, whatever reason, but I really love what he did here, and I wish there was more evidence of that out there. I think the vocals are pretty good in this song, considering <laughs> that I'm not very, very... You're not a fan uh, of the vocals, fan of the vocals in general. In, general of the, <laughs> in this album, but in this particular song, you can hear more passion or intention, let's mm-hmm. say. Right. And just with the guitar solo, it's definitely a step up from And Then There Were Three. Oh, you can yeah, tell this absolutely. is a player who's... Play, had to play some things live and it's much more confident than you know and then there were three and then when you hear him on Duke you're like oh yeah this mm-hmm. this was a, probably a great album that gave him even more confidence going into yes. Duke to be able to play the, the guitar that he wanted to play on that album it's just another song like Every Road where I think it would work great in a mechanic set list sure like it would really be an upbeat song a, a crowd pleaser and you know, so hopefully he'll throw some of these songs a little bit more love in the future. Sure. It is interesting to note that this album, sorry, this track, I should say, um, is almost entirely driven by that acoustic guitar. Yeah. Playing the 16th notes that mm-hmm. really going for it. And of course, that gives a lot of space for that guitar solo yeah. to soar over the yeah. top of it. Right. Because as good as Mike is with this on the lead, he is a fantastic rhythm player. And so allowing that to shine on this track also it's 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 a good setting for his talent there's a lot more acoustic guitar on this album than you realize right so there's the the bit the guitar bit is in a bunch of different time signatures and simon was able to break it down for well us. i'm not entirely sure i, I can't say and, and and this is the thing about when you start talking about time signatures <laughs> everyone hears it differently everybody or, does hear yeah. it differently and especially with with uh, with with this because there's a six eight kind of feel right. and of course there are some musicians out there who will say well it's not six eight it's three four right and it's one of those things where you don't really notice the the odd time happening right and right. i've always believed that um a good musician will never approach odd time uh, in a in a way that will try to trip you up. It's always approached in the, in the sense of it being rhythmic, right? And he does an incredibly good job of being rhythmic right. with the, with these odd time sequences. It's the way it is because that's how it should sound. Yes. And like my note was just that. Oh, you know, there's definitely different time signatures, time shifts in this. I didn't count it out to see what it was, but I was like, oh yeah, I can I can hear that. And if I listen to it enough, I could probably go along with it and see where the changes are. But it's such a feel thing there that, you know, I I think sometimes I think back to that story that Phil and Mike tell about Turn It On Again, where Mike didn't realize it was in 13. And Phil was like, oh, no, it is. Mm-hmm. And so I think Mike may, may not fall into these things, but he has a good natural sense of it. Yeah. And there's a, there's count a- it. There's another trick you can do, which is, again, very apparent on this particular song, which is if you 
subdivide it into smaller notes like sixteens. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You can play with a lot more with the time signature and it not feel like odd time. Well, one other note I had is that I really like the transition from this song into After Hours. Oh. Well, let's talk about After Hours and its transition. Can we, now, here's a quick question. Can we talk about this song in less time than it takes for it to actually play? Let's try. Let's do it. Okay, ready and go. We're talking about After Hours, and we're trying to talk in less time than the track actually is, which was a minute and 46, so go. <laughs> Short track transition, that was my note. Transition, all right. Simon? I had down that this is a, a great example of uh, hearing Ant actually as a keyboard player. Yeah, it was a good Ant Phillips f- feature. Yeah, because all of the transitions are largely keyboard based. Yes. Right, right. And I, I you know, it's interesting, this kind of brings it back to the bleaker pl- place in the in the story. Right. And I, you know, this, when I got to this track and listened to the suite, um, you can hear Mike is starts down, then he's up, and then it's down, and then it's up, and then it's down. So each track, it, you know, it, it varies very well, but it all kind of flows together. Yeah, the bleakness is carried by the music in some right. ways less than the, the the well, no, it's in the last track. It wasn't carried by the music; it was by the words. Here, it's more of the the music, music doing it. Right. I had nice moody joiner between the two songs. I like the atmosphere, especially toward the end. Cool. Well, we've have thirty seconds left. Any other final thoughts <laughs> about this track? Yes, my I only had one other thought, which was. If you get a chance, go check out Anthony Phillips's back catalogue. Yes. If you like yeah. this kind of sort of stuff, you'll probably find a little bit of that in uh, in Anthony's music. Uh, and of, of course, it has a larger range than yeah. just this. Exactly. And so with that, we'll move on to Cats and Rats in the Neighborhood. 137. Woohoo! <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. 
I love the groove of this track. Um, it reminds me a lot of Dodo Lurker. Okay, okay. okay. So this is the other song that reminds me oh, of okay, a Genesis right. song. I forgot about this. <laughs> but it does. It, well, it, in terms of the groove and, and, yeah. and the, it's kind of got a funky feel to it. Um, I could totally hear Phil Collins singing this track too. Um, yeah. This is, I think, you know, it, again, it harkens to uh, Mike's ability. He's, he's used to writing for Genesis. Yeah. And I think maybe he had Phil in his head when he wrote this song um, yeah. in terms of the drum, the groove, and, and the vocals. Yeah. This is a great song. It reminds me of All in a Mouse's Night. Okay. I think it's reminding us all of a different song. I yeah, had right? Back yeah. in New York City. Oh, wow. Okay. So it's almost like his, because I think we mentioned that with Man of Our Times, that it kind of had that yeah. feel and that groove to it that was kind of reminiscent of Back in New mm-hmm. York City. And knowing that Mike did Man of Our Times and knowing Cats and Rats, it, you can see what influence he had on Back in New York City and that same kind of feel. Right. Yeah, I didn't. I didn't write any specific Genesis track, but I did say that I, I it, the backing track, the 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 song itself, I thought was a really. It was different from the rest of the suite, and I do wonder if if this material was written especially for this album, or if this was kind of the collection of some things he just hadn't been able to use in Genesis previously. I'm curious about that, and that might be something that we can we can find out at some point. Again, it's when you hear this at the beginning of the album versus being the second half, it also kind of cries out that this is a much heavier keyboard album than you would thought mm-hmm. it would be. So that was something I was again continually surprised by at how much the keyboards were prominent in this album. Well, I mean, his his main co-writer yeah. for was Tony is Tony Bang, yeah, so, so it doesn't surprise me. Yeah, it doesn't right. really surprise me that much. But yeah. but yeah, you, if he's in charge of everything because this is his album. We know how strong of a personality Tony Banks yeah, can sure. be, as we've heard and kind of seen in the past. Um, yeah, but I think at the end of the day, it comes down to he's used to writing with yeah. a keyboard counterpart. And I wonder if he would write for a keyboard, knowing that that might. Make it again. This is getting into the the suppositions of band member personalities. Right. But if he wrote more keyboard based material, would Tony go? Oh yeah, we'll do that one. <laughs> you know, is it kind of like trying to make sure it gets past the filter? It also this is a track which I think perfectly highlights the the pros and the cons of David Henschel's production okay. style. Um, one of the things which I I love about David Henschel's mm-hmm. production style is he does epic very well right. and as a result I think it really suits Mike's writing style mm-hmm. certainly at this point in his career right. the downside is there's practically no bass hmm. in this album yeah. at all right. it's a very even though you can hear the bass there's no weight yes. at the bottom end right. um, and that I think is and this is a classic example of it this song mm-hmm. really and it goes back to that it was mixed, and you look right at the the liner notes, mixed at Mason Rouge Studios in London, which we talked about on Duke. That one of the Genesis Tech people told me that they had taken all the 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 tweeters out of the out out of the speakers in that studio, the the Jethro Toll people had. So, you know, if they had to boost up the the bass, I mean, boost up the treble, boost right? up the treble to try to get it to get any bass sound out of this, you know. I think what you're trying to say is that they yeah. took out the tweezers, which is the thing that does the top end. Yeah, I think I meant meant to reverse that. So. <laughs> anyway, you know the story, people. But either way, it's a trebly studio. 
Remix. Remix. Yes, remix. Please. <laughs> remix. <laughs> remix. Yeah. So, we now move on to another short transition, Small Creep Alone. My favourite track on the album. It's but my favourite track on the album. Yeah. Oh my god! We should get married. We should. Oh, <laughs> Good idea. Okay. So, what is it about this track that you know, makes it your favourite on the album? I just think it's it's the most intelligently arranged. Okay. It's a great instrumental. Yes. Possibly, uh, and I think that I think this is right up there with the in that quiet earth uh, kind of uh, vibe about it. I had one of Mike's finer instrumentals. Yeah. I, th- I mean, just from start to finish, it just really gets you rocking. It's got that, I love that, I don't know if that's like an 80s kind of feel where towards the beginning it goes, it has like that yeah. big ramp up and then like really starts proper and it just makes you happy. Yeah. <laughs> I, I wrote that as optimistic. Oh, so that was uh, close yeah. enough to happy in my book. So, yeah. Although I do say, I said, this is where I wrote down that it's all recorded through a wet blanket. Is that it? It, yes. it feels like if this just had some more air to it, it would be even better than it is. I know. I mean, with that being said, because I agree with you completely, Mike. Um, I think the the guitar sound, the solos, the guitar harmonies, yeah. like everything guitar on this is <laughs> fantastic. Um, I would rate this even better than in that quiet earth. All right. In many ways, um, 
Is I just love. I mean, the refrain of this is yeah. a compl- another one of Mike's earworms. Mm-hmm. Um, it's kind of got a Brand X feel to it to All me right. in some ways. Um, but yeah, I. But well, we do have Morris Pert suck- on percussion too. Yeah, who I think played with yes. Brand X. Yes, so. and I, I'm a sucker for instrumental, so this definitely won me over on the album. I mean, there's a lot cool. of great tracks on here, but Out of the Daylights, you know, the winner for me. All right. There's a lovely moment in it where um, where uh, Simon Phillips goes down to playing like the Tom Toms, mm-hmm. and there's this like arpeggio on the guitar, okay. which sounds very Hackett-esque. Yes. Yeah, I thought that actually this and parts of the Nets track sounded very Hackett-y. So it's the guitar in there. You know, Mike talked about that he was influenced a lot by Steve in the early days of his playing, because that was the tone that he was that Genesis was known for. And so you don't want to do a radical shift away from that. And so it's it's how he was playing too. I think it's I think this is this is really solid. Going towards the conclusion of the of the of the suite. Mm. So it knocks my socks off. This track it really does. It's one of those tracks where if you were driving in the car, your foot would be getting heavier on the accelerator. <laughs> right. And so we'll get to the end of the main songs without the one bonus track for this album, which this last track of Small Creeps Day is At the End of the Day. Uh, this is my favorite Noel uh, vocal performance yeah. on the album. I think he uh, does a fantastic job with this track. Um, you know, another one of Rutherford's love songs. Yeah. He loves his love. Mm. Um, really beautiful cor- chords um, going on here. Uh, but yeah, this is just really, really nice yeah. way to end the suite. 
Um, I remember, I think we talked about earlier that in the book it was kind of a, a nebulous, ambiguous ending. Um, and I like that Rutherford made this more of a positive yeah. kind of, and you get to hear what his, you know, yeah. how he interpreted the end of the book maybe, which yeah. is kind of cool. So, yeah. He's going home to his love. Yes. So it's there's some hackety guitar again in here that you know had that feel to it and it just the fade out I, I thought it was very cinematic kind of a fade to black type of conclusion to this so it's not really ending it's just this part of it is ending the one thing that really hit home to me about the whole album is the lack of choruses yeah it tends to be very very hooky lead lines but yeah. there's n- it hardly ever resolves into a chorus and this is a classic case in yeah. point where he has a very hooky melody line, yeah. but it never really goes towards a chorus. I think yeah. there's a there's a move away to a sort of like a a middle eight refrain. Yeah. And I'm kind of glad. I'm kind of glad, although you know, it's it. They talked about not wanting to do a suite on Duke because they didn't want to have it prepared to Supper's Ready. And so, of course, I've been comparing this in my head to Supper's Ready all the way through, <laughs> but not wanting to talk about it. And this ending is less anthemic than Supper's Ready end. Supper's Ready's end, but it is definitely has that feel to it of kind of going off into the distance. And I like that. I think it's actually for this group of songs, it's a really fitting end. I wouldn't want kind of a putting your fist in the air mm-hmm. ending to this. This is a bit more contemplative. Although, as we said, a happier ending than the book. It's a good mic lesson. <laughs> yeah, we don't talk you know? about mic lessons. Yeah, mic lesson. Much. You know, quit your shitty job and right. hold your woman. Exactly. <laughs> it's the secret of life. Right. Find, find that person. <laughs> yes. Where this might not have that big climactic ending, it kind of reminded me a little bit of Gates of Delirium, where you have right. that sort of middle to end section, mm-hmm. like the battle section, where yeah. everything's really kind of like cacophony of music and, and different things which kind of was like the outer into the daylight mm-hmm. and then it kind of smoothly transitioned to a softer soon mm-hmm. ending whereas now this is at the end of the day and and it just has that kind of hook that soon does where it, it really tugs at your your heartstrings because i remember i first heard this album years ago i said all right let me get this album i'll play mm-hmm. it a couple of times and i think i must have played it once or twice at most and i kind of put it aside right. but the one track that stuck with me was this track so i think i i have a soft spot for it because when i listened to it again just to prepare i was like you know i just remembered being moved by that last track the the very end of the suite to kind of tie it up right there's also a lovely little break in the middle where um there's a an acoustic guitar and and sort of like a faux flute thing on the keyboard Mm -hmm. which again harkens Mm. back to that sort of um Rutherford Phillips right. um, collaborative uh, um, quality, yeah. um, and it's it, that's a lovely little pop moment in that mm-hmm. in the song. Right. With that, there is one bonus track that uh, was a B side for many years, uh, many years. It was a B side, and it was on the, one of the singles from this. It's a track called "Compression" that actually showed up as a as a track on Aunt Phillips's. Uh, Harvest of the Heart box set that came out last year.
I've heard it. I've Ellie, heard it. Ellie's heard it. Yes. Sam has heard it. I have not heard it. And I have not heard it either. There you go. Uh, yeah, this is a very proud song. I love the power drumming. And this is so. This is a Mike Rutherford song only. Yes, or Simon it's, and Ant. It's Simon and Ant. It's it's the band that recorded this with Noel McCallis singing the lyrics right. to it and everything. And it is. It's a heavy song. It's it heavier is, yeah. than anything on this album. Maybe overnight job might come close, but it's a rock song. Right. And but I could see it doesn't really. It really doesn't fit with the rest of the album. Yeah, that's true. It's, yeah. um, has What's the name of it? Compression. Different. It goes through at a, a fairly sort of like slow but menacing pace all yeah. the way through it until the end where it changes its its mm-hmm. sort of like timbre and sort of like almost becomes a sort of mini shadow of the hierophant yeah. as this riff plays over and over again and more and more instruments are added to it at the well, end. Funny you should mention that because that end part of it was written during this, the uh, uh, sh- uh, Selling England by the Pound era. Uh-huh. And there's actually, if there's some of the bootlegs out there that have the, the session rehearsals for that album, you can hear the clip of, you can hear the version of it that I guess Mike presented to the band back then. Interesting. So, it is something that, that has dated from the past that Mike did decide to kind of revisit. I wonder if it's one of those riffs he kept on trying to get the band to do and they were like, ah, no, we're not fans of that. <laughs> and But they finally said, I'll do it on my album. And then he doesn't even put it on his album. So, <laughs> oh you know, it's one of those things. So it's a, it's a, it's a neat little track, but it is a curio. It's, it's something that is not necessary for the enjoyment I wonder whether or not, because this is something which I've often wanted to ask, which is, mm-hmm. what do you think is is would this would actually, in my opinion, be right up there with with possibly the most obscure Genesis related track of them all? Really? It what is do you think for me it? since I've never heard it. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. You have a you have a new Genesis related track to listen to yeah. after all these years. Right. I kind of I, I might save it for a special occasion That's now. Right. It's, like, <laughs> right. it's like Simon with and then there were three. Yeah. Save it for a rainy day. So, so with that, what are our overall impressions of this album? Uh, it's it for me. It's a little bit like. Um, Voyage of the Acolyte. Okay. It was an album which I discovered much later mm-hmm. in my Genesis listening history. Um, and it was a, another joyous find for me. I mean, mm-hmm. I I will quite happily hold my hands up and say I've always have been and always will be a bit of a Rutherford fanboy. Sure. Um, and I think that the... I think that the album for me can be split down into two pieces. There is the um, the Small Creeps... Day, which has, I think, a lot more to do with his 70s output. Mm-hmm. Okay. And then there are the songs on the other side, mm-hmm. which I think hearken more to what was going to happen with Mike and the Mechanics. Right. Okay, that's mm-hmm. fair enough. I kind of agree with that. That's true, right? It, 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 I was going to say the UK version, you have the Sweet First, which is very 70s, mm-hmm. very... Uh, Mm. We're familiar with that. Yeah, the old style, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. So. And the second part, the B side, was more eighties pop, mm-hmm. <laughs> which is totally fine by me. It's a great mm-hmm. album, although I don't particularly like the, the vocals. Not the singer; the singer has a great voice again, but how mm-hmm. he yeah. conveys, you know, how he delivers. Maybe if it's uh, remastered, <laughs> who knows? Remastered, remixed. So. Yeah. I think for me, it's what we listened to this fairly intently yesterday, kind of prepping for for the podcast, and then today 
before leaving and even yesterday after listening to it intently, we just had it on in the background. And for me, it's an album that actually plays better in the background because then when the bits come up that I, I really like, I'm like, oh yeah, this is really good. And then the rest of it can just kind of fade fade back a little bit and be less prominent. So I was actually surprised listening to it intently that I didn't think it was as good as I remembered. But then listening to it yesterday and today, not focusing on it, I'm like, oh yeah, this is a really good album. And it made me think about, you know, maybe it is because when when the bits that jump out at me kind of come, come along, I go, oh yeah, I, I like this part. And the other parts, again, I don't think there's anything bad on this album. There's just more that kind of is fades into the background for me. I, you know, to kind of jump, you know, add to that, I feel that this album is one, for me at least, I have to really sit down and listen to it and Mm -hmm. not be doing a lot of anything else to really appreciate it and to see all that it has to offer, if you Hmm. will. Um, This album isn't part of my DNA like Genesis albums are. Um, Mm -hmm. I'm not as, you know, familiar with it as the, the Genesis catalog. You know, I've... I've been listening to it since probably the mid to late 90s when I first got a copy. Um, But it is one of those for me that it's not like so immediate, Mm -hmm. like maybe some other albums. Like for me, Duke, for example, was so immediate. I got it right away. I loved it, absorbed it. It's part of me now. Um, Where this, I feel like I have to really sit and listen. And I love that we're doing this show because it it, it was a little bit of homework to sit and, and pay attention to everything going on. Um, and, you know, the two things I came away with that, you know, just made me have more love feelings for Rutherford was, one, he is he can write an amazing hook yeah. and amazing choruses. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think, you know, that's really what he did best in bringing the Genesis. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and if you like Genesis's hooks and choruses, and like I said earlier, if you like anything from their middle period, this album you have to get. And yeah. I encourage you to give it some time to sink in because it said it's not as accessible, I think, which is a shame. And then as we were saying earlier, they didn't take it out live. Yeah. So it didn't really get ingrained into the fan base as maybe yeah. some of you know the Genesis work and even the mechanic stuff did. But this is something that still sounds great today, yeah. you know, for almost 40 years on. Um, it would absolutely <laughs> right. benefit right. from a remaster, yeah, a, a refresh remake. somehow, because I'm not, mix, yeah, yeah, I'm, I was saying kind of, be, you know, offline that I'm not the biggest Dave Henschel fan and I would love somebody else to get their hands on the masters here and, and do something with it. But um, that doesn't, you know, change how fantastic the, the playing and the songwriting mm-hmm. is on this. So yeah, it's 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 good album. Yeah, <laughs> I think what I can just repeat what Stacy said earlier is that if if you're not familiar with this album, definitely pick up a copy. There's bound to be something on here mm-hmm. that will tug at you and, and and get your feet stomping and and something that you'll be like, oh, you know, I wish I had discovered this sooner because there's mm-hmm. bits that Mike had put into Genesis the years before, which he brings to this and yeah. and he kind of explores some more ideas, which I think. Anyone who picks this up will will be happy they did. The one thing I think we had talked about offline a little bit is that I'm not a huge fan of the cover. <laughs> it kind of oh, I get right. the idea that it's small creep looking out over the factory, but it seems like 30 seconds to press time, someone spilled coffee on it, and they said, mm-hmm. "All right, we got to go with it." <laughs> and so it just didn't seem like it was Hypnosis's best work. I think they did the cover, right? Yes. Yeah. yeah. I like it. I I I think the spotty nature of it. 
kind of makes it feel like you're looking at it through a difficult prism. I don't think that's coffee. <laughs> <laughs> oh, wow. <Yeah. laughs> but there I am that's not that's normal. I was trying to be nice. <laughs> oh, boy. Oh, boy. <laughs> so, but yeah, I think I... It's it's not one of my favorite album covers, but I don't think it's bad. Well, if you compare it with Acting Very Strange. Oh. Oh, well. Yeah, it is <laughs> better classic. than Acting Very... <laughs> uh, we'll get to that oh, one I like Funhouse Mirrors. Um, so, what is our each of our favorite track on this album? Well, I think... Uh... We uh, we established uh, Simon and I. Our favorites are oh. "Out into the Daylight." Am I speaking for you, darling? Absolutely, darling. Okay. <laughs> Mine, I think, just because it's the one that stuck with me the first time I listened mm-hmm. to it was uh, "At the End of the Day." Yeah. But "Out into the Daylight" is a close second. All right. Yeah, me too. Out, in the, uh, out into the day. Out into the daylight. Very so. good. I probably would have said Moonshine before listening to this, before really focusing on listening to this. I think afterwards I would vote for um, for Every Road. Oh, oh good. They're yeah. all great songs. Yeah, yeah. I think that's... Yeah, Moonshine and uh, the um, uh, Working in Line were my two runners up. Right. But, yeah, that's... Good. Yeah, there's, there's a lot of solid material yeah. on here. So, And now I think it's time for Tom to... Take out his bearded pole, well, uh, with a Mike Rutherford beard on it, and oh, uh, <laughs> thanks for that mental image. <laughs> and, uh, I'm due for some manscaping. Yeah, <laughs> and bring out that pole. Tom shows you his pole. The pole is is very attractive. Uh, <laughs> I have to say, people like the suite. The top right. three songs were from the Small Creeps Day Suite. Okay. Uh, right. With number one at the end of the day. Okay. So really? I had a little romantic wow. feelings like I had. Oh. Right. More power to you, everybody out there. <laughs> everybody loves the love. That's yeah, right. <laughs> that was at 23%, and at 19% was out into the daylight. All right. So yeah. kind of close. Yeah, mm-hmm. people like the end of the suite. Yes. And then at 15%, we have working in line. All right. Oh, my I other runner up. Yeah. yeah. I can see that being up there. Uh, tied for fourth place, you have one from each side. You have between the tick and the talk, and time and time again. At nine percent of the vote, then Moonshine got fifth place with eight percent. Every road, not as high as you would have liked, Mike, but six percent. I think I voted. I think I voted for Moonshine, (laughs) but I might switch. (laughs) Excuse me, switch it now. So. Well, the Electoral College did pick every road as the winner. So oh, yeah. <laughs> you can't always go by the popular vote. Uh, um, tied for seventh place, again, between different sides, Cats and Rats in this neighborhood and Overnight Job okay. with 4% of the vote. Romani, which none of us could probably hum back right now, no. is uh, eighth place with 3%. And the two kind of transitional tracks from the suite uh, were ninth and tenth place, Small Creep Alone followed by After Hours. And they had any votes? Two uh, percent for Small Creep alone, and After Hours got zero votes. Oh. I'm glad we didn't spend that much time talking about that. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> I, it's uh, it's funny that some people would vote for Small Creep alone, but not After Hours. <laughs> but yeah, I guess you have to choose. So yes, well, that's been great. Well, it's... thanks everyone who voted. Yeah, yes. we love that you vote. So keep voting for future yeah. polls. Keep putting it in there. So. Uh, well, thank you all for listening, and thank you to the Tabletop team for discussing this album. I think it's been fun. Any final thoughts 
before we sign off? Only that um, I'm looking forward to um, a curious feeling at some yeah. point. We did say that we were going to do this as a double episode, but mm-hmm. when we discussed this um, uh, offline, we felt both needed actually their own episodes, really. Agreed. And now that we've actually talked about them, I think I, it's or talked about one, it definitely is the case. So Because it would be an epic podcast if we did both, <laughs> if we did both in one. This has been fun. People, <laughs> go buy their other album. Yes, go find it. Although, as Simon said earlier, it's not on iTunes. No, I, I certainly had a look for it, and a, quite a thorough look for it this morning, mm-hmm. and I could not locate it anywhere on okay. iTunes. If someone out there knows differently from me, let us know. But the bottom line here is that currently it's unavailable on iTunes. The last that I knew this was on sale anywhere was actually at the shows in 2007 at the merch stand. Where I think that they it, they had some made up for that tour, but I don't think since then I don't think this has been reissued by anywhere. So well, it'll be a great time to oh, maybe uh, remaster. Uh, I think so. Remaster, remake. Yes. I don't know. Nick Davis, can we get you on here? It just popped into my head. Actually, right? you yeah. can do a, a tour with these albums. Yes, yeah. exactly. Yeah. Other things too, but it's it's almost. 40 years so you have four years to plan for this album for this tour to put this out small creeps revisited exactly there you go so excellent well we will wrap up now well thank you very much for listening this is Mike signing off this is Ellie this is Simon and Stacy and Tom and we'll see you next time thank you for listening to this episode of Tabletop Genesis Archived episodes can be found at tabletopgenesis.com, along with updates, polls, and various other podcast-related news. You can also subscribe to the podcast on iTunes to have shows automatically downloaded to your computer when we post new episodes. To keep up with all the Tabletop Genesis activity, follow us on Twitter at Genesis Tabletop. You can like us on Facebook by searching for Tabletop Genesis, and you can email us directly at genesistabletop at gmail.com. Let us know what you think of the podcast or send us questions we can address on future episodes.